House of Kayfabe. Welcome to House of Kayfabe with Brian Reznor and Stephen New. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the House of Kayfabe. And we are here today with all kinds of special awesome stuff. And speaking of special awesome stuff, here's a special awesome person, Stephen P. New. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, Brian Reznor. How are you doing, man? Man, fantastic, especially since we've got the first part of our Ricky Morton interview coming up in just a little bit. The fans are going to love this wrestling legend, a man who needs no introduction anywhere to modern fans, fans of the old school. Ricky's been there through all of it, and gosh, do we have a great interview with a living legend in the sport of professional wrestling. We are definitely going to get to part one. You're going to hear part of it. And then the next episode, you will hear the second part, but it is definitely worth a two-part experience. We've got a lot coming up, including our take on something called the Mandela effect. That is something we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Have you ever heard of the Mandela effect, Steve? I've heard of it, but... You know, it takes a little bit of research. There's a lot of Reddits and subreddits, things like that about it. A lot of articles. And it's really funny how with the passage of time or with social media, quick links and things like that, that you remember things a certain way or how whole groups of people, or in this case, professional wrestling fans, misremember the exact same thing, Brian. It's true, and it is an effect, and it is called the Mandela Effect. And today, we are bringing the Mandela Effect to professional wrestling, including the interview with Ricky Morton and so much more. Keep it here. House of Kayfabe. We'll be right back. House of Kayfabe. It is now time for Kayfabe Theater. This time, Brandy Rhodes. Do you understand me, heifer? Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Kayfabe Theater. I am your host, Lucius Beauregard, and on today's episode, we explore what is undoubtedly the best monologue of this person's career, but by far the best thing that happened in the year 2020. I am, of course, speaking of the impassioned piece of indignatious poetry cast forth by the always present, always marvelous Brandy Rhodes in a monologue entitled Heifer. <clears throat> Who the hell told you? Tonight was open mic night. Bitch, you're dizzy. Ass up here, looking real confused, so let me spell this out for you. You up in my house. Smacking your gums at my man, and now you my problem? I'ma make this real easy for you. Don't you ever, ever talk to him like that again? Don't you even look at him? And do you know what else you can do? You can take your ratchet, trifling ass, right up off my stage. 
and do not come back unless I call for you. Do you understand me? Hefa. Good, great, cool. Bitch, get your ass out of here. And scene. Thank you again for joining us. I am your host, Lucius Beauregard, and this has been Kayfabe Theater. Good, great, cool. Bitch, get your ass out of here. Welcome back to the House of Kayfabe, and I am sitting here with Matt Mullins, Rich Quick, and Stephen P. New, and I really wanted to talk about this with you guys because I think that it's pretty interesting. How you know? We'll just start with you, Steve. Have you ever experienced a Mandela effect? Not that I can think of. Are you familiar with the term? Do you know what Mandela effect is? I am. Well, why don't you spin us up, Brian? Okay. Well, basically, the Mandela effect is a memory that a really large collection of people have that actually didn't happen. And it gets its name from Nelson Mandela. A lot of people believe that Nelson Mandela died in prison and he did not. He died later on. And all those people who remember that swear that they watched his funeral on television and all this stuff and it never happened. So that coined the term Mandela effect. And now there's all kinds of them. I'm sure you've heard about the Berenstein Bears or the, uh, the 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 other spelling that there's a lot of different ones out there and Ugh. it has peered into the wrestling world. Matt Mullins, are you familiar with the Mandela effect? The Sinbad Genie movie is the one that comes to mind. Man, did did, did that one get you? Did you did you feel like you I for knew? sure? Yeah, I for sure thought that I saw it. I did too. I was like, yeah, uh, you I know, that was my favorite Genie movie. My mother, my mother also swore that, uh, that, that we watched that movie when I was a kid and it didn't exist. Apparently another one that gets me is interview with a vampire or interview with the vampire. To me, it was always interview with a vampire, but actually it is interview with the vampire. Hmm. Which one do you guys remember? The vampire. So I was working in a movie theater at the time. And, and what, so what do you remember? The marquee out front read interview with the vampire. Uh, and a lot of people, I don't know if this is a misremembrance more uh, than a Mandela effect. A lot of people forgot that guns and roses covered sympathy for the devil. Now I had someone argue me the other day that guns and roses had never covered sympathy for the devil before. And I said, ah, oh, Au contraire, mon frère. It was covered, and it was the closing credit theme to Interview with the Vampire. Okay, so what if if I told you that the actual name of that movie isn't either Interview with a Vampire or Interview with the Vampire? Would you say I was crazy? Yes. Well, I'll tell you, th- th- this is uh, this is one. I-, I know we've talked a lot right now, and we haven't talked about wrestling, but we are getting to wrestling, I promise you. But this right here I have to mention to you guys, because this is a double Mandela. First, it was a lot of people remembered interview with a vampire. And then it fa- we found out that it was interview with the vampire. That one obviously did not affect you guys, but it did affect me. Now, the secondary Mandela for this is that that movie is actually called... The Vampire Chronicles. The subtitle of the movie 
is Interview with the Vampire. But the actual movie title is The Vampire Chronicles. Did you know that? You're a lying son of a bitch. Google it. It I is. I want to believe what I believe. I believe Steve knew and he worked at a movie theater. Okay. More- we put on the marquee of the theaters in Huntington interview with the vampire. Okay. Yeah. So, so then it's not called the vampire chronicles. Cause if you Google it right now, if you grew, if you Google the words interview with the vampire, the first thing that will come up is the vampire chronicles. Well, I'm I'm like rich quick, and you guys know that I can be contrarian sometimes. What should control about a movie's title? The movie poster? What does the do the words the vampire chronicles appear on the movie poster, Brian Reznor? Yes, they do. I am looking at it right now, Tom Cruise. Well, there you go. I think that's definitive. But either way, that is just one of many, many, many Mandela effects that are out there in the world. And we today are going to talk about Mandela effects in professional wrestling. And I'm going to go over a few of these with you guys and see what you think. Now, some of these we know for a fact is just people misremembering. But some of these, maybe not. And we will start with... Kind of the break in here. Did you know there's a lot of geographical Mandela effects? There's a lot of people that swear that South America was in a different place when they were growing up. Have you heard this at all? Well, that's just poor education. Okay. Parts unknown? Well, uh, 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 okay. That poor education that you speak of was obviously taking place whenever the intercontinental title was created because on the intercontinental title, South America is in a spot that it, it was remembered to be not in the spot that it actually is. Is that pretty interesting? It's It's kind of a, it's not a full on Mandela effect though, because it is known as residuals. Now, residuals is when you find something that reminds that it proves the fact that this memory is not for for nothing. You know what I mean? It's it. it, This memory is more than just a a false memory when you find proof of what you know, what you're claiming. And the intercontinental title works as proof that South America used to be located somewhere else. That is uh, pretty, pretty interesting, to say the least. It's funny. Cardona, uh, Matt Cardona was getting shit on. Uh, oh, you're uh, on last name basis with him now. You can just call him Cardona. Yeah, uh, okay, yeah, sure. Uh, on the on the figure podcast, he, Cardona, Cardona was getting uh, getting shit because he was talking about. He said when I was on an overseas tour in South America, and evidently <laughs> all these people were t- tweeting you motherfucker, you weren't overseas. <laughs> and he, he had to go, he had to like say, Hey guys, that's just what I call all, everything out of the country. I just called it an overseas tour. So he, but that that's funny. That's just a funny little, and yes, I call him Cardona. No, yeah, well, Good job, Mullins. Well, obviously, <laughs> obviously, there's some geographical research that you need to uh, to even verify that what I'm telling you is the truth. So I guess you guys can do that on your own time. But it, it, from what I understand, it is the truth that South America is in the wrong place on the intercontinental title. And that wrong wow. place just so happens to be the place that all the people who remember it being in a different place remember it. 
Um, the next one on this list. How is, is, let, me, let me stop there. How is lack of geography education by one or more people in the WWE a Mandela effect? Because well, it's more a than it's one a residual. In the WWE doesn't know where South America is. I don't like that as a Mandela effect. Well, it's a residual. It's not a Mandela effect. Now, this next one, I am going to uh, to play you a clip here. Hold on. Tell us what to do. Okay, what do they say at the beginning of that? X Pac. Okay, they do make not some noise. Okay, make some noise is actually the first thing they say. You're right, Steve. Yeah, Steve, Steve make, is right. Make some noise. Play See, that again. Okay, so everybody remembers. Oh, like, well, a, a large group of people remember it saying X Pac at the beginning, at the very beginning. Now it does say it right afterwards, but in the very beginning it says make some noise. Make some noise. X-Pac. Make some wow. noise. X Pac. And everyone remembers it saying X-Pac twice. But I think that is more of just a uh, mishearing than a Mandela effect. Would you not say? Well, well, we learned something today. (laughs) I did. By by the way, just just a quick sidebar. Whatever happened to that band? Because they they did all like the DX music. Was was there fail like ending? Was when they did the national anthem. <laughs> it, might, it may have been. I, I'm. I'm not. I'm not sure. They, were, they were like a really good mid '90s, like late '90s type of band. They were trying really hard to be just like Rage yeah. Against the Machine. Yeah. Yeah. They really were. Okay, so the next one on this list that I have to bring up to you guys, I, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with. Matt, Matt, you're you're my age. This Mandela effect does not work for me because I remember it exactly the way that it happened. But maybe it works for you. Can you tell me what happened when Shawn Michaels turned on Marty Jannetty? Exactly. What happened exactly? Uh, you're talking about in the barbershop? I'm talking about in the barbershop. From, uh, we'll start from when, when Brutus Beefcake raises both of their hands and then both of their hands come together and both of their hands are raised as reunited rockers. And then what happens? Sweet chin music into the barbershop window and, uh, or the hands come down and Marty turns his back and sweet chin music. Uh, when where when Marty turns around sweet chin music, Sean, sweet chin music's Marty's, into the into the barbershop window, man! I didn't tell that. Uh, okay, so yes. you know what you did right there. Now, now, do you what? agree? Do you agree? Or do you agree, Rich? No, I thought he hit him in the head with a coconut. I mean, do, do you agree with that? <laughs> do, do you? Uh, do no, you? Agree? I do not agree with that. I remember. I remember them like hugging. Yes, we're all good. And then Marty turns around, and then I thought he threw him through the window okay, okay steve where where did where what happened steve you tell me which one of which one of these stories is right did we lose steve no this is perfect mandela effect because in my mind i tell myself that he was sweet chin music through the window but i believe he was just punched through the window. Okay, well, let me tell you how it exactly went down. 
and I and I and the the Mandela effect is that millions of people remember Marty Jannetty getting swin, sweet chin music right through the window. That's what people remember. But what actually happened was their hands were raised. They raised their hands together. Shawn Michaels' sweet chin music Marty then picked him up off the ground and threw him face first through the window. That's so what happened. there was a sweet chin music. There it was. Just was not through the window. Exactly. Uh, so now, is that a Mandela effect or is it a misremembering? I say it's a misremembering because I remember it fully the way it happened and it definitely happened that way that's the way it happened no i i think that's a sweet i i, I think that's a mandela effect and let me tell you the reason why <laughs> marty Janetti has taken this so far that he you can pay money to sweet chin music marty Janetti through a barbershop window i shit you not in New Orleans a couple years ago at WrestleCon, one of the biggest gimmick tables at WrestleCon in New Orleans two, three years ago, whatever that was, was Marty Janetti had a full-on barbershop. And Brutus the Barber Beefcake was there for some of the autographs. But for $50, you could switch in music Marty Janetti through the window, and he'd... he'd He'd sell for you. <laughs> and wow. a line was around the building. Interesting. Wow. Interesting. So obviously Marty Janetti remembers getting sweet chin music through the window as well. For 50 bucks, Marty would fall, uh, get sweet chin music through that one and did all day long for three days in New Orleans. Yeah. How much replaceable glass did that man bring? Well, it wasn't replaceable glass. He, he fell through a, an, an empty hole, you know. Oh, there. okay, okay. Uh, that looks like the Hatfield McCoy cabin there, Rich Quick. So <laughs> it, would, it would be well, weird you know, if the biggest thing that ever happened in your career is when somebody kicked you in the face and threw you through a window. That was my thought at the time. You know, that's it's pretty you, interesting. You were sweet chin music into irrelevance. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, from now on, the lesser member of a two-man friendship will always be known as the Marty Janetti. And, and that's just the, just the way it goes, I, I guess. Uh, so the next one on the list is there is a ton of wrestling fans out there who somehow believe that the Ultimate Warrior died in the, uh, in the early, well, the mid-90s. So they think the Ultimate Warrior died in the mid-90s. He actually did not die until the 2000s. Um, Actually, pretty late 2000s. What was it, 2016? Just a few years ago, the night after he was inducted in the Hall of Fame. Right, exactly. So the Ultimate Warrior did not die, but people remember he did die. And I do believe that this is not a Mandela effect. I think that this is because of the renegade dying. Do you guys think that? Yeah. I think that that's, I think that's what happened. I mean, it, it's either that or, I don't know, did Paul McCartney die? Uh, yes, it's one of those things. You no, know? Paul. Mac no, Paul McCartney totally, definitely died in that car. Like that. I don't. I don't know if you guys <laughs> have ever got into Paul. that. I don't know if you guys have ever got into that conspiracy, but I think that I believe that conspiracy more than any conspiracy I've ever heard in my life. The <laughs> the Beatles conspiracy of Paul McCartney being dead is the most fascinating musical conspiracy I have ever heard in my life. House of Kayfabe listeners, if you have never studied that. Go on Amazon, do yourself a favor, and buy a book. It's a couple hundred pages called The Walrus is Paul, and it tells the entire conspiracy 
Yeah, or um, you know, there's years. also a really killer movie about it on Amazon Prime. If you go on Amazon Prime uh, or uh, Prime Video, Paul McCartney is dead, right? Yes. If you go to Prime Video, you can watch Paul McCartney is dead. It's, I don't, I don't, I don't believe it, but it is interesting. I, I do uh, believe it. And you know what? The best Vince Russo podcast I ever heard in my life was about this this same conspiracy. The and last one I, that'd I, be the best one to hear. No, I'm telling you, you ever heard. I was. <laughs> I was, I was super into listening to some Vince Russo there for a little bit, and and it was it was hard to do sometimes. But when he did the show about Paul McCartney, that's when it turned me on to that conspiracy theory. And his show on it, he has a guest on there that is so like, so into it. Like the guy doesn't even uh, he has no doubt in his mind it's not a conspiracy theory. This guy is he calls him Fall, Fake Paul. But uh, either way, that is definitely a story for another day. Next on our list, Hardcore Holly. Was was he the Air Continental Champion? Hmm. There's a lot of fans who remember Hardcore Holly with the IC title, but Hardcore Holly, Holly was never the IC champion. Now, obviously, hmm. you, you guys weren't sure if he was or wasn't. But no one had a no one had a, a solid memory of him with the IC title. No. Now, once again, I believe this is a false memory situation because I know that Sparkplug Holly did get a victory over Jeff Jarrett when Jeff Jarrett was the IC champion, and he picked up the IC championship as if he won it. But the decision was reversed, and Jeff Jarrett kept the title. So that's what I think that people are thinking about. Well, that's about. just a dusty finish. That's a dusty finish. Did he finish. not get the moniker Hardcore Holly from competing so often for the Hardcore Championship of the time? I believe that is uh, that is what, yes. See, so I, I, rem- I distinctly remember Hardcore Holly having a title belt for a good bit of time. I just assumed it was the hardcore championship, not the intercontinental championship. What you just described was a dusty. Well, you would have been a, uh, very correct because hardcore Holly never had the IC title. That is uh, a fact, but some people remember it. Otherwise let's go to the next one. Maybe this one will affect you. Is Perry Saturn alive? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, it doesn't affect you guys, but there's a bunch of wrestling fans who think Perry Saturn was dead and now he's alive and they swear it's a Mandela effect. In my reality, Perry Saturn has always been alive. Hmm. I believe that that may be a misremembrance too, with all the news that came out about, you know, his hard, hard situations and the things he was going through that maybe somebody was like, Oh man, that guy's dead. But I, I don't know. I think, I think it's because, you, we haven't heard from him. That yeah, there's another one. Like he hasn't cool. been around. Like he's and just I'm, been living a hard, hard life for the last 15, 20 years. And uh, out of sight, out of mind. Chances, I mean, if you if somebody told you like, oh, hey, Perry Saturn's dead, you'd be like, well, un- yeah, yeah un- I can see that. Unfortunately, like how I mean, wrestling is the occupation that uh, I mean, you hear every day almost that it, it seemed like that way, at least like, especially his generation of wrestlers, like, uh, uh, yeah, so many crowbar. You, you can say them, it. The ECW you know? alumni's are, um, definitely rare species. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it, it's not a crazy thing to think. No, I don't know if that's 
Mandela. Mm, Reapers in the backstroke as far as New Jack and all of those guys are concerned. Man, <laughs> his yeah, his dark dark side of the the ring was like it was devilish almost. It was damn sure dark. Yeah. Wow. So, what a rib on the world if if New Jack lives to be a hundred. I, right. I think he will. Like somebody who really should have have, have been killed or something or, or died years he before. He may be the Keith Richards of ECW. You know, he may sure. be Paul Heyman and, and all the rest of us. But um, that's interesting. I think, too, when people hear GoFundMes for wrestlers, like just like Rich Quick was saying, lived a hard life, had a lot of medical problems as of late that – you know, maybe death would have been soon to follow that type of news. It's also indicative of, I think, and symptomatic of social media and a headline news type where a lot of times we'll see a headline like uh, GoFundMe, Chris Jericho donates to Perry Saturn's GoFundMe account, you know, and and you just assume that the next thing that you maybe you should have clicked on uh, or that you would be clicking on a few months down the road was Perry Saturn dies. Uh, we do a lot of that with social media and never actually read the story. Yeah, right? that's true. Very, very true. So next on our list is uh, have you guys ever ate? Do you, do you remember when? Um, CM Punk was talking about getting an ice cream bar. Did do you guys remember eating one of those ice cream bars? Yes. You had a CM Punk ice cream bar? No, 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 no. But I definitely ate the ice cream bars. Never had a CM Punk. Okay. Did, did anyone eat a CM Punk one? No. Okay. So there's a ton of people who swear they had CM Punk ice cream bars, yet they were never made. Which is why he was pitching. Right. But afterwards, a lot of people remember them making a CM Punk ice cream bar and that him bitching was the whole reason, you know, why they were doing that was so they could come back out with their ice cream bars and bring out a CM Punk ice cream bar, which they never did. Well, those people are posers and liars. Okay, so none of these, none of these have really affected any of you. Maybe a little bit with the X Pac, but I think that was just mishearing it. We wanted to hear X Pac, <laughs> so yeah. none of these have affected you at all. But this one, the last one that I have here, has to affect you. Now, if you guys have some after I'm done with this one, feel free to bring them up. But I think Brian, that out of yes, may may I? Yeah, yes, sir. Yes, sir. You want to know the reason why people misremember so much of this stuff? And I, it, wrestling fans will buy anything. Right. Go to coordinatescollectibles.com. Uh, <laughs> we'll be getting some of our own House of Kayfabe merch up before too long. But anyway, if you look now, I love to live a lot of relive a lot of my childhood and have since 1996 on a little website called eBay. All right? I can usually go to eBay, and anything that I want, I can find from my childhood, from the Stretch Armstrong Green Monster to a set of lawn darts to you name it, I can find it from my childhood. All right? What am I looking at when I eBay CM Punk ice cream? There are no fewer than seven 
T-shirts for sale that have a CM Punk ice cream bar, men's gray or black. One of them says authentic T-shirt. So if wrestling fans will buy the CM Punk ice cream T-shirt off of eBay or Amazon or if it's for sale at a WrestleCon or a WrestleCave, I think that probably contributes to this kind of misremembering too, you know. If I can probably. buy it and it's on a T-shirt, well, I think I ate it. Yeah, you know, it, it was legit merchandise once upon a time. Right, exactly, and and that's a, a good point. That's probably exactly what those fans are thinking about: is pictures of a CM Punk ice cream bar and not an actual tangible ice cream bar in their hand. Yep. So well, they're just creating a nostalgia for a time that never was. Okay. Well, this next one, though. That- you know, and I'm just to just to break off for a couple a couple of seconds on some other Mandela effects. There was a couple that really really affected me. Like uh, when when I heard the uh, uh, Houston, we have a problem, and then everyone was saying, "Well, it changed. It's now Houston. We've had a problem." And I I w- went to the clip and I watched it and was like, "Wow, it is. We've had a problem." Then I seen like a couple months later, there was another article that said it's changed back to we had a problem. And I go back to that same clip, the same, same thing. And it was different again. So the Mandela effect kind of, kind of messes with me. (laughs) It, It really does at times. But this next one is the only pro wrestling Mandela effect that ever messed with me. But now can somebody tell me Kurt or can can somebody tell me Mr. Perfect's name? Kurt Henning. Okay, Kurt, you Kurt Henning. Hennig. There's no N at the end of Kurt Hennig's last name. Right. I, and that that fucks with me so hard because I, for my whole life he was Kurt Henning. And then all of a sudden it's Hennig. And I'm like, no, that's not true. That that can't be true. And I look it up, and everywhere I see it, it's Hennig. And then I run to my, you know, my collection, and I'm like, where can I find a current hit? Uh, there's a current hit. It's Hennig, 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 Hennig. I've never even heard the word Hennig until I heard about this Mandela effect. And then all of a sudden, Kurt Hennig is not Hennig anymore. And this one fucked with me. And obviously, it didn't fuck with Stephen P. New. And obviously, it didn't fuck with Rich Quick. But Matt Mullins, it had to have affected you. It did big time because I only ever heard Henning. Yeah, uh, I remember I you said earlier that you were a good listener. <laughs> Obviously, this has been that was in our person that was in our personal time, Lou, and you don't well, bring that up. <laughs> okay, here's here's something. When as soon as I found this out, the first person I contacted was was Heath Heath Miller, uh, formerly Heath Slater. Contacted him and I was like, Heath, uh, Mr. Perfect's son that you hang out with all the time, what's his last name? And he sent me Hennig and was like, why? So obviously it didn't affect him either. But he's friends with him. But there is somebody fifty dollars, he would have gotten the name wrong. What I'd is- have lost. I would have bought I would have bet someone fifty dollars that that <laughs> Stang. 
the, the man, the, the, the this the, this definitely messed with me though. I'm really surprised that it did not mess with the two of you as well. Well, but, and and let me tell you the reason why um, those after mags were pretty good. When you know, um, Kurt Hennig uh, and Greg Gagne were top guys in the AWA tag team division, you know, in mid eighties. So you'd read those after mags, you know, and they didn't have a, a name, you know, they weren't the rockers or the road words, the midnight express or the rock and roll express or anything. It was Greg Gagne and Kurt Hennig. And so if you saw that, you saw the actual name in the top tens. And, and I loved, that was my favorite part of the after mags growing up with, with the rankings. Well, it's very interesting that you brought up that tag team because when we talk about Henning Hennig residuals, there are two. And one is an episode of Nitro where his name tag is obviously Kurt Henning with the, with the N on the end, Henning, like I remember it. And then also there is a action figure set from the AWA with Greg Gagne and Kurt Henning. And then there was another one that was the exact same figures where his name was changed to Hennig. So there was an AEW action figure out there. There is one out there in the world that says Hennig. AWA. Yeah, AWA. Yes. I was like, if there's an AEW figure, oh, man. No, it's not AEW. No. It's <laughs> AWA. Call Cardona and see if he has it. If anybody has it. <laughs> so there's lots of balls being busted tonight, folks. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think I think that Rez and I, Rez and I, being WWF kids and being in the Mister Perfect era and that Coliseum video, Mister Perfect, Kurt Henning is how we remember it. I, th- you know, and you being an AWA guy. I, I think that we just remember it different. Well, so that, that Mandela effect definitely does affect us. So, something to add, something to add to that is the fact that we did grow up in that era. And for the majority of that era, we never heard Kurt Henning we, or Hennig. We never heard anything but Mr. Perfect. Mr. Perfect. Right. You know, that's all we heard well, he was Mr. Perfect. I mean, obviously, when he came to WCW, you know, and there was that tease of whether he was going to join the Horsemen or join the NWO and all that. It was like 96, 97 time frame. Uh, obviously, he's resuming um, his real name. Uh, and, of course, uh, went on to record the, the memorable tune, Rap is Crap. Rap is Crap. Rap is Crap. <laughs> That's right. But, uh, we, you know, we didn't really even hear the name Kurt Henning until um, until WCW days. And, I mean, I think that we knew his name. You know, we, we thought we knew his name. We thought we knew it was Kurt Henning, but we called him Mr. Perfect. And then mm-hmm. and then, then afterwards, you know, he became, you know, Kurt Henning or, or Kurt Hennig. But to me, he was Kurt Henning the entire time until literally probably maybe a year and a half ago is when I found <laughs> out about this. And I was like, what the f-? I'm like one of the biggest wrestling fans ever. And I don't know one of my favorite wrestlers' names. It makes no sense. Zero. Called sense. me. You called me. I was. It was the same time. Oh uh, yeah. We. I told you about it, and you were like, "No, what?" The yeah. <laughs> Didn't believe me at all. 
But that is the interesting world of the Mandela effect. If you listeners have any Mandela effects that affect wrestling that we are not talking about, definitely send them in. Did you guys have any that you had heard? Because I know when we first started, we all had like this one, but we didn't want to share it. It, 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 Was it the Henning? Henning? Yep. That was mine. Was Was that yours, Rich? No, not at all. Well, what was yours? You've got another Mandela effect? And it could just be me. It's it's probably just me, uh, but <laughs> I would have bet all the money I had, all the monies I would have, I would have bet a solid gold house and a rocket car that <laughs> Dan the Royal Rumble was originally called the Rumble Royale. I just have a distinct memory of hearing that announced and seen as the Rumble Royale. And nowhere can I find that, and I just lost my mind, and I'm a crazy person, apparently. Wow. You know, when you said it like that, it's like it brought back a weird memory for me, but maybe I'm just wanting to believe in Mandela Effect like Santa Claus. I'm not sure. I could have swore. I I, I just, I yeah, that's the one that gets me where I'm like, that was a good Vince, though. Well, that if, was a good Vince. If somebody, if somebody would have heard voice, that. I'm trying to do a Vince voice, and in the nut, oh, mm-hmm. the voice on top of a voice. It's a hat on a hat. Yeah, <laughs> hat on a hat. So, Steve, did you uh, did you ever hear of the Rumble Royale? No, I don't. I don't think I ever thought it was Rumble Royale. It wouldn't have surprised me if Vince had done such a thing, but uh, I didn't ever quite remember it that way no i don't, I don't remember that no. either but it, it does have that quite familiarity when you say it but i i'm not i'm not bringing a full-on memory out well we were just i was just in a different dimension maybe that's where what, it was rumble royale and you were all in in whatever this one is that's what the mandela yeah. effect is all about being in different dimensions because of cern damn you cern anyway um that was uh, <laughs> that's the Mandela effect in a nutshell. We'll be right back here on the House of Cave. House of Cave. Hey there, everybody. This is Stephen P. New from the House of Kayfabe. And I just want to tell you that uh, in addition to being a co-host on House of Kayfabe, I am, in fact, a lawyer licensed to practice law in the state of West Virginia and other states by special permission. My law office is at newtaylorlaw.com. We handle all types of personal injury matters, discrimination, wrongful death cases, and do certain cases outside of the state of West Virginia and the Commonwealth of Kentucky uh, just based upon uh, selectivity and what that case may be. I have cases right now in probably nine to ten different states. We get admitted what's called pro hoc vice by special permission to practice in other states. So if you or a loved one have need of a lawyer, give us a shout at 304-250-6017 or at www.newtaylorlaw.com. Let us see if we can help you on the law firm side of the house. And also, for those of you who may not know, I am also co-owner of a sports agency that's called New Legacy Sports. And we just recently opened a professional wrestling wing of that. We have done great work on behalf of such super superstars as Midnight Express, and Jim Cornette, Shane Douglas, Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan, 
Joey Mercury, Kelly Klein, Sonny, the Rock and Roll Express, and the Heat Seekers, among others. Uh, that wing of our sports agency just keeps growing. And right now we have uh, training for individuals who are trying to make it in the National Football League, Canadian Football League, or the XFL when The Rock gets it going. So if you need to get in touch with me, just give me a call at the office, 304-250-6017. Thank you guys so much. And we're back here on WWKRK Fabe Radio, the only radio station devoted solely to music about, for, and by professional wrestlers. I am your host, Rich Quick, broadcasting all the way from Munich to Meadow Bridge. And today's show is brought to you by Punky's Hot Dog Stand. Moms get a free foot long with every purchase. Also, brought to you by the letter Q. The alphabet is a hoax. 27 letters my ass. WWKR, Fabe Radio. I am your host, Rich Quick, and our next song comes from the era when professional wrestlers could actually make albums and people would buy them. By the way, how's Enzo doing? Somebody check on him. Okay, then our next song is from the greatest tag team ever. Yeah, I said it. Here is the Rock and Roll Express with Boogie Woogie Dance Hall. special guest do we not Stephen p new very special living legend is the word that i use to describe this pro wrestler i know it's been used with lots of different people from bruno on down but i'm telling you this man is pro wrestling royalty this guy takes me back to being like nine years old sitting at smoky mountain wrestling watching them and the heavenly bodies dish it out just like a couple feet from me but we today here on house of kayfabe have the one the only 
Ricky Morton. Ricky Morton, welcome to the show. Yeah, let me give myself a hand here. Give myself a hand. <laughs> hey, guys, thank you very much. Steve, you too, man. And my wife uh, told me to tell you how. You know, when I first met my wife, the first question I asked her, I says, do you make cornbread? And she said, and banana pudding. I said, damn, we got it going on, don't we? <laughs> it was a done deal after that, huh? Yeah. It's it spoken good. just like somebody from East Tennessee, Ricky. Yeah, sir, Steve. I, uh, all right, guys, what's up with you, man? Well, I got to ask you, man, how are you dealing with COVID? Like, uh, how's, how's it affecting you? How are you? Are you staying safe? Like, what, what's going on with you and COVID right now? Oh, man, the COVID killed our whole business. But other than that, you know, shut down everything, the entertainment business. And I will say to the guys at WWE and NXT, AEW, uh, yeah, all of them, Guys, uh, thank you for putting on shows without no crowds, because if you're not an entertainer, it's hell to go out and do a hell of a concert when there's nobody clapping. That's yeah, the truth. You understand? Oh, yeah. Uh, and I, my hats are off to all the boys doing that. You know, the guys, when you do this all your life in the entertainment business and all of a sudden everything's shut down, uh, I'm telling you, it's hard. Uh, I... Uh, Make it through. I mean, you know, I think Tennessee opened up yesterday to be, I think, half full capacity. Uh, and then next next Sunday at my school, I'm going to start letting uh, some crowds in. And I, I want to tell you guys here with me talking to you, you know, I'm 100% pure hillbilly. So <laughs> let's get it on, man. <laughs> well, I got a lot of questions for you today, and we cannot thank you enough for being a part of this broadcast. We were glad to have you on the show. House of Kayfabe well, with you, Ricky Morton, man. That's that's a big deal. We, we love having you. Thank you, bud. All right, well, we're just going to start it right off, man. You were taught to wrestle by your father, legendary Memphis referee Paul Morton, and Ken Lucas, yeah. who was most known for his time in the AWA. Starting with your dad, growing up, when did you know that you wanted to be a professional wrestler, and when did you tell your dad? Well, man, I was when I was traveling with him on the road as a kid, because back then, when they ran shows, my dad pulled the ring and he refereed. He wrestled before I started going with him. And then it was our job to help him pull, set the ring up. I mean, that was just a family thing that we had to do. And uh, and normally pulling the ring and setting the shows up were on like Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So we went with him. And at that time, wrestling was nothing like it is today. And that's the reason I, I really look back because, you know, you didn't have – all the wrestlers you got now, you didn't have the talent you got now and wrestling business hadn't changed. It was still, you know, every one of them weighed 600 pounds, you know, about as enough shape to get your ass whooped. Uh, and I, and I'm serious. That's just the way it was. Uh, and I didn't like it. You know, I didn't, I wasn't into it then. And until my daddy started refereeing in Memphis, and uh, and I went with him to a show, dude. My first show I went to in Memphis, I thought I went to uh, a Rolling Stones concert. I now, how old are you? How old are you at this time? How old am I now? No, how old are you at this time when you're when you're going with your dad? Oh God, I mean, I started from I was when I was twelve. I mean, even earlier than that. Wow. Up to I was in high school. Uh, and the reason I didn't go with him when I got up in high school is because I played sports in school. 
uh, summertime, I did. Right. Uh, but, you know, you still had Tojo Yalamoto. I don't know if you know them. Lynn Rossi. Uh, you know, they were – it wasn't – wrestling hadn't got to the state that it was in. And I'm going to say this, guys, and I'm not trying to bullshit nobody. You know, Robert and I changed the business. You did. But it, it, but it was being at the right place at the right time because territories – and uh, Steve, I want you to listen to this. And uh, see, I hated territories. And the reason why it's because either they were owned by the top babyface or the booker <laughs> that was booking it and used all, you know, he pushed himself. You right. did not have a chance in the business, especially being a young guy. So you never even got a break in the business then when you used to tell you in your late 30s or 40s. Because your friends hadn't become bookers yet. <laughs> right. And, and I'm serious. Yeah. I'm just telling the truth. And we was at the right place. You know, Bill Watts was uh, was retiring, and and he didn't push himself no more. And he wanted a booker that didn't wrestle. So, brother, you're talking about being at the right place at the right time and pushing the young baby faces. Well, God, it blew their minds. It even blew my mind in this business. Oh, I got a question. How much longer did your dad referee, uh, whether it was in Memphis or somewhere else, Ricky, after you were out on your own trying to make it as a pro wrestler? Uh, he's still uh, about to 1984. When I went to uh-huh. Charlotte, is and we went there in 85, my dad started retiring because he started coming over to my place in Charlotte a lot. You know, one of the greatest moments with my dad uh, you know, every you know, my son's starting to break into business, but me breaking into the business and my dad being the referee and where is I've got to take him to Starcade in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina on Thanksgiving night, and that night I wrestled Ric Flair. Wow! In the main event, and uh, and, and and the crowd's a lot different. <laughs> 1985, wrestling Ric Flair in Greensboro Coliseum, so completely out. And uh, to have your dad with you to experience this, wow. You know, uh, to think back, gosh, man, uh, you always think about, I wish I knew now what I knew then. But gosh, you know, I, I, I was glad I had that time for my dad to see that and well, obviously your dad knew how to wrestle. Um, obviously your dad knew how to wrestle because he helped train you. Uh, how come he was always a referee and he, he didn't actually step in the ring as a competitor too often? Well, look, since you know, it's right time, right place. You know, it's, he was just, uh, another body at the time. You know, like you said, you had your territories, you wasn't going to get pushed, but being a referee, and pulling the ring was a full-time job. Right. Gotcha. Uh, he didn't have to leave to go to Florida to find a job after they got through beating you here to go there. He stayed there for years and years. Uh, and, you know, and, and, and I learned when we got there and put the ring up, you know, before the matches started, for them to let people in. I'd get in there and wrestle. My dad would show me things, talk to especially being on the road. Uh, and talking, because... Even I do this in, in my business so when I do seminars. So half of you, what I'm talking to you today about, I'll be better off talking to that wall 
because you're not going to understand the damn word I'm talking about in this business. See, our wrestling business, guys, it's, it's not about doing moves. It's not about that. It's about understanding it. And when you're in a position to understand our business, see, our business, my job is, is tonight when I'm here, it's not about me doing no big house spot. It's about me getting the people back in this building next week. Right. A lot you of people don't understand that now. A lot of people don't understand that now. Oh, yeah, that's the reason, you know. It's like me being a champion. I didn't want to be a champion. You know why? Because the people don't pay to see me win. They, say they, don't, pay, they don't pay to see me lose. They, say they pay to see me win. So every week, the heel will do something to screw me. And then I'll come back next week with a match. He can't do that, but he'll screw me another way until you work up the big build-off. Yes. That's the whole concept of our business. But you got to have a heel that knows how to get heat and keep heat. Buzz, I'm like a squirrel. I'm bouncing from limb to limb. I don't have a damn clue how we got here, but uh, that's the way it is. <laughs> well, in the beginning, you, you debuted in 1978 uh, before oh, the yeah. world-famous Rock and Roll Express. You spent some time tagging with Eddie Gilbert before he was even hot stuff. I've always been oh, a huge Eddie Gilbert fan and would love to hear what the beginning of your career was like and what role Eddie had in it. Oh, yeah. You know, Eddie was Tommy Gilbert's uh, son, and he worked Memphis. And at that time, he was working as Freddy Krueger in Memphis. Tommy Gilbert was. But Eddie was breaking in the business. And it, and in Jerry Jarrett's territory, you worked, you wrestled Tennessee, and you had a lot of shows in Kentucky. Well, you had to have an athletic commission in Kentucky. But Eddie wasn't old enough. Eddie was only 16 or 17 years old. Wow. Uh, Yes. So he couldn't get that. And I'm out in Oklahoma. And Skandor Atmar, I come in, and he was the booker. And another, wasn't a big territory, small territory. But boy, did, it, did I have fun. And what a hell of a learning experience I had. Me and Eddie both. Uh, we're there. He's 17 years old. We're, we're the champions. And, and listen, we didn't break records and break Elvis Presley's records like we did in Louisiana. But I'll tell you one thing, the territory didn't fold up. We did good. We held our own. Right. We paid the bills. And and we all made, you know, we got what I did for a living. I had a lot of fun with Eddie Gilbert. Eddie was, a, you know, Eddie went on. He was a great mind for our business. I'll, uh, and I like Eddie was my friendship. His his, his brother Doug, which uh, you know he wrestles too. And yeah. I felt I was going through some of my old tapes. And Steve knew one day I'm going to put these out, or or really kind of have something to do with them. God, I'm young. I'm there. Uh, Doug Gilbert is could but eight or nine years old, and he's he's there giving Eddie a reward. You know, a award. And, uh, and we were out there in Oklahoma. This is how long ago that was, man. Uh, guys, you know, if you had time to – but I saved all those old tapes from there with Leroy McGurk. Jim Ross is just breaking into business. Really? Just wow. breaking into business. Oh, you know, yeah, I got an interview with him. And, you know, I don't know how to talk on TV. And Jim Ross is off radio, and I can't say shit with a mouthful. And he's <laughs> – you know, and – Ladies and gentlemen, we're here, and I'm going, hey, hey, I heard you, boy. <laughs> uh, the rock and roll, I mean, not rock and roll then, but 
hell yeah, I didn't know what to say, you know. Uh, but as time come on. Well, speaking, ahead, speaking of time coming on, in 1983, Jerry Jarrett and Jerry Lawler decided to pair you up with Robert Gibson as the Rock and Roll Express, and this is where the magic was really born. When did you meet Robert, and was it at this time or beforehand? No, 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 buddy. I, Robert used to tag with his brother, Ricky Gibson. And now I'm going to go on into this. It's, you know, I'm jumping from limb to limb again, but, but my dad told me, he said, son, I can see our business tag team wrestling is gonna it's gonna be the next big thing tag team wrestling, and, but but when I was I was in San Antonio Texas at the time, and Jerry Lawler came to San Antonio he said man I got an idea I want to team you and Robert up and go back to Memphis and and that was uh you know that's my home uh I was ready to go back. Uh, and then uh, we got back there. But see, Robert was tag team with his brother the whole time. And I went through tag team partners to learn. I had Eddie Gilbert. Then I had Sonny King. And then out of all the baby faces in the world, you know how many people I have that's told me because they don't know history of a wrestling Mr. Ricky Morton, you're the greatest baby face ever. No, Ken Lucas was the greatest baby face ever. I learned from him. He taught me. See, every one of them taught, but really, Ken really taught me the the art of selling. You see, in selling in a match, it tells the whole story of the match. It tells everything that you're going to do. That baby face that never dies. He's always fighting back. And then, and then when Robert come along, it was like our chemistry just fell right into place. I mean, man, right off the bat, it's. It, you see, they had a tag team there too, the fabulous ones, that, which me and Robert were playing second fiddle to. But buddy, they didn't want to be on the same card with me and Robert because, buddy, we we was before then we blew the roof off the damn building. So when, Robert and I's chemistry worked. When Jerry brings this up to you and he comes to you with this idea, do you think it's going to be as big as it became, or or how do you feel about it when he first hits you with it? Nobody did. Jerry Lawler told me not, I was did a show for him back in September, his 50th anniversary show. And he told me, he says, Ricky, if I knew y'all got, I would have patented y'all <laughs> <laughs> 40 years ago. <laughs> and and uh, he said, I never knew it lasts this long. Do you know Robert and I, man, we, we have been tagged, what is that, 38 years? Yeah. We've been tag team partners for 38 years. That's longer than most people's and, career. It's a lot longer. It's hey, that's three times longer than most of them's career. <laughs> right. But uh, well, Ricky, don't let Brian get us up here into rock and roll territory because in about 1983, I'm watching on Sunday mornings USA Network, 11 a.m. This program out of San Antonio, Texas, with this promoter by the name of Joe Blanchard. And I see on my television Southwest Championship Wrestling. And I'm thinking, man, you know, I get to watch the WWF on satellite, and I get to watch the Crockett's on Mid-Atlantic, and I get to watch Georgia on the Superstation WTBS. But, man, here's the kind of wrestling. I've never seen Southwest Championship Wrestling before. And on that program 
was a young baby face by the name of Ricky Morton on there. And there was also uh, a guy who at that time was enhancement talent by the name of Shawn Michaels. Oh, uh, yes. And, and a bunch of other great wrestling superstars. Uh, you want to talk to us now a little bit about that uh, exposure that you got on national TV on the USA Network with Southwest Championship Wrestling? It, it really... Steve, at the time, I see what, like you said, you wish you know now what's go then, what you know now. Uh, being there, and we're on that USA channel, man, we're going wild. And, and at that time, that's when Ken Lucas's were doing good. But I mean, the territory is great. You remember Scott Casey? Scott Casey was on here. He was the perfect cowboy wrestler that I ever seen in my life. He, he had was that. Over. He looked like the Marlboro Man with that good body, but he didn't smoke. He wore that hat. What a beautiful man, you know. And he's <laughs> on TV. I'm serious, dude. This guy was unbelievable. And, and then we took that territory, uh, and and you worked your big shows to go to the Hemisphere Arena, and that's where the San Antonio Spurs used to play football before they tore it down. And guys, yeah, you're talking back in 1983. Uh, you're doing 15,000 people at a wrestling show. Right. It was the damnedest thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, at that time, w- watching Scott Casey wrestle the guys and me and Ken Lucas wrestling, Tully Blanchard, Gino Hernandez. Uh, Hangman Bobby Jaggers was there. Hey, you know what? I, I and you just said that, and it, 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 it this reminds me of a story. And I like for you to hear this. You guys remember Brickhouse Brown? Oh yeah. Yes. Okay, when Brickhouse Brown he first come to San Antonio, Texas at that time, uh, he come in and told Joe Blanchard that Jerry Briscoe had trained him at the, at their wrestling camp for Eddie Graham in Florida, and uh, and they were looking for a black star, and. Uh, because they didn't have one at the time. And, you know, and so they important. He was a good-looking kid, too, man. Good body on him. And, you know, he played football at uh, Obis. Uh, and, and then he'd come in there. So he's wrestling Bobby Jaggers, and I'm watching him. And at that time, uh, that night, most of the time he didn't, but that night I'm watching him, and they're giving him a finish, and he's not even paying attention. You, you see what I'm saying? Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm watching this. And I got to thinking, so I'd go over and I'd ask him a few questions. And I went back and I sat down and I told Ken Lucas, I said, this guy here is not even smart to the business. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, I don't know, but let's make you go out here and watch this match. (laughs) 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 Man, we're in Hemisphere Arena. I'm standing back by that door. Brickhouse is in the ring. Bobby Jaggers come in, and they went to lock up, and Brickhouse Brown beat the living piss out of him. Bobby Jaggers was screaming, hollered. Don Carson was his manager. Bobby Jaggers, he's going, Don, this guy ain't smart. <laughs> wow. and, and Don had to grab Bobby Jaggers and pull him to the floor. And, and they got on the floor, and they went back to the dressing room. <laughs> and they counted him out and raised Brickhouse's arm and they come back to the dressing room. Here's Joe Blanchard. Joe Blanchard come back in that dressing room and said, Boy, what the hell are you doing? And he didn't know. Then Joe looked and he goes, You're not even smart to the business, are you? 
<laughs> he goes, yeah, I'm smart. I went to college. <laughs> God, I, and I'm me, and Ken Lucas, both man. We're about to piss on ourselves. We're laughing so hard. But then he said, I don't know whether to have all these boys to whoop your ass or just shake your hand. He said, because you got a lot of balls. <laughs> so they took him. But he told him, and I had to go too. Every Monday we did TV in San Antonio, at down at the. At the arena, you know, it's Joe Blanchard only. So we had to go there early to work out with Brick because he's already, they already not spent all his money advertising him. And he was a good looking kid. And that's where he started working. He had no clue about our business. And he was already in matches and had no, no clue. No, that'd have no clue. But you <laughs> see, he went from there. I love Brickhouse too, man. He Ernie Ladd loved him too. Ernie Ladd seen him. Ernie Ladd go, boy, you're robbing the business. <laughs> <laughs> I never forget that. that so that's a funny episode, man. I said, I, I remember the sheep herders were down there uh, at that time. That that was my. I had read about the sheep herders in the in the after mags. And had never gotten a chance to see them. And then they came through Southwest. And I thought, my God, I get to watch the sheep herders finally. Yeah. You know what? I got over like a son of a gun as, a, you know, with Ken Lucas and as a single because they brought Nick Bockwinkle in and I worked with him and he got me over real good. Not by beating him, but by going our time limits with him. Uh, and when I'm saying when the sheep herders took over the book, I let you know me and Robert left. We're in in Memphis, and they showed these videos. Me and Robert Memphis and in Louisiana, we went there. So uh, they booked us over there. Bill Watts sent us over there. And we're down in Westlaco, Texas, south of Texas. They shot the video. They had the Kid Tims and Eric Henry was their top heel tag team. They, they called herself the Hollywood Blondes. Real simple and easy, and. Uh, and that's when, you know, we was over there, but I didn't realize that people were watching us everywhere, especially shooting those videos. Doggone, buddy, we sold out a football stadium. You're just wrestling the hills, so they had heat on them. Right. And uh, <laughs> we did the simple finish where I rolled them up and beat them. When I did, one of them stuck a chain in the back of my tights, and it hung down. And when we turned around and won, the referee saw the chain and rung the bell. When we did, the whole East section come in the ring on them. <laughs> that's how people believed in our business alright so if we go to Memphis you're, you're talking about being in Memphis and, and that's that's where you got started a feud that would last a lifetime against the Midnight Express rock and roll and midnight were the perfect yin and yang how long did it take you to get that amazing chemistry with each other that we grew accustomed to as fans or was it just instantaneous just magic no uh, and, and I'm going to tell you this, guys. Back in the, you know, I have a lot of people ask me back then, who's the greatest guy you ever wrestled? Well, hell, all of them were great. Just everybody had different jobs. You know, you, all of them were great. Now, while I was in Memphis, you know, uh, the Midnight Express, uh, Jimmy Cornette, you know, that you had Randy Rhodes and Novell Austin and Dennis Condry, but the Midnight Express didn't form really until we went to Louisiana. We drew our money in Memphis. What we really got over was with Randy Savage and Lanny Poffo. Well, Randy and I, we were the first ones to ever break a tel- table. Me and Randy did. That was actually going to be my next question. I was actually going to talk about that. that and-, was, and, and it was an accident. 
and that wasn't even the finish. If you not watch the match back, uh, we was supposed to double drop kick Lanny or something. But when he power draw me through the table, I wouldn't get up. And he's going, man, we got to no, man, I'm going to lay here and sell this. See, we made our own angle. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Because I didn't get up and sell it. Jerry Jarrett, it's one thing I say, Jerry Jarrett told me, he told me a couple of things, but that right there, he said, man, that was the smartest thing I ever seen somebody do during a match is to lay there and sell that. Uh, another time, let me tell you this, I got to, I know I'm jumping. Uh, I'm a young baby face in Memphis. And uh, I'm wrestling a guy named Killer Carl Krupp. And uh, he's got to put me over, but he don't want to. I'm a young baby face and down there, and I'm in in Memphis. So I went to the ring with him, man. He wouldn't sell nothing for me. So I just started selling. And uh, I'm calling the match because he's doing it. Slam me, boom, suplex me. I kick out on two on everything. Kept kicking out. He must have hit me with – he broke the indoor record for false finishes on me. And I (laughs) kicked out of every one of them. Then I stood right up, scoobored him, one, two, three, and got out of the ring, and I walked to the back. And when I'm walking to the back, Jerry Jarrett standing there spitting in a cup. You know, he's spit dip. I'm walking by, and he goes, Ricky. And I stopped, and I said, yes, sir, he goes – Oh, he wouldn't sell for you, would he? I says, uh, we just having a match. He goes, no. He says, he hits you with 800 finishes. You kicked out of every one of them, and you got up and small packaged him and won. He said, you're the toughest son of a bitch I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> he goes, you need to be the world champion. But then he looked at me and says, you're the smartest baby face i ever seen. And I uh, see that's that's th- little things like that that nobody ever knew. And, and if they do that today, if they get back to storytelling, but really, really storytelling, get back toward the hills, our business is not dead. A lot of people think they know every answer to our business, but they don't. It's a difference. I don't know if you can see me. It's a difference between when you worked at the bottom of, you know, you're going up your body at your chin and at your nose and at the top of your head. But when you're a foot above your head, when you work in territories that depend on you to sell out the building every week, now that's a whole different story. Yeah. Because the territory is not about me. The territory is about everybody. Everybody, because if you don't sell out, we don't make no money. And you've got to uh, see that's what our business is about. Our business is about putting heat on the hills and the hills knowing how to carry it. They have got plumb away from that. And I know that their ratings have got to be sucking. Every one of them has got to be sucking all the time. Yeah. But if they just go back to a simple, simple thing, instead of worrying about me, Worry about the whole territory, and I promise you their business will come back up. And, you know, and get rid of people that think they know everything about our business but don't know shit. There we go. Ricky, okay. I, was talking to, I was talking to Kevin Sullivan the other day. Kevin thinks that the solution to this is uh, bookers 
and not people that write for television. He's like, look, you you can take some guys like Undertaker, Cornette, guys that know the business and know how to write stories, you know, and, and they don't even have to be there at the building or anything like that. But Sullivan's opinion was that it, it's it's TV people writing wrestling right now and not wrestling people writing wrestling right that, now. Is that's that kind exactly of what you're talking about. That's exactly what's happening. Now, when you have wrestling people, now I want you to go back and look at the big feud that I had with Ric Flair. See, that was another thing, being at the right place at the right time. And and, and understanding this is, you know, it, it's not when Robert got hurt. This is when Magnum T.A. had a car wreck. And he broke his neck and paralyzed. So they were grooming Magnum T.A. to be the world champion. Well, Magnum ain't there. Dusty told me before, and I, and I got to say this. You know, I had my, you know, uh, me and Dusty had our FU fights a many times. But, boy, did I learn a lot from this man. And he's another one. He, he told me, he says, Ricky Morton, besides myself, you're the greatest baby face that ever lived. <laughs> <laughs> we can hear him but saying that. Right. You know, baby. <laughs> Watch the elbow. But uh, <laughs> he, uh, uh, but see, when me and Rick did our angle, Rick wanted to work with us. Remember, when I went to the rings, we were on TBS, and I broke his glasses uh, when I was in the ring, and he come out, and I tore his suit off of him. None of that was planned in the back. None of that was. When I was on 2BS and I pulled his glasses off and I broke them on the floor, none of that was planned. We were two wrestling guys that just made it happen right then and made it happen to the best. If you noticed, I wasn't the real cocky guy. Flair's pushing on me and I'm just standing there. The first time, that's when I tore his suit off, but he backed me into the corner, and I never come, never did nothing till he backed me in the corner. And then when you back any animal into the corner, he's going to come out fighting. It related to everything that you do in life. When I'm on there and Ric Flair is talking about the tinny boppers and the big girls, and I'm trying to tell him these fans support you, nobody does. Uh, Rick, out of the corner of his mouth, on that, he says, pull my glasses off and crush them step on them, you know, and I took my time. I pulled him off his and I stepped on him. When I did, he slapped me and I hit him and all hell broke loose. Now, by being like that, it was not only did it surprise Robert, <laughs> it never surprised them. Gordon, son, I mean, everybody went nuts, right? You worked you everybody. Huh? You worked everybody. Now, buddy, it was it was our business, right? And son of a bitch, it got oh, excuse my language, guys. Oh, you you can but, say anything but, you want to on this show. It got it got over, of course, and it really got over. And now, and one of, one of the things about that was that like the insulting your fans, rock and roll, and, and Ricky, we were talking about Tommy Rich the other day, one of your fellow inductees into this year's Wrestling Hall of Fame. Yes, Brother, sir. I'm telling you, around 81, 82, 83, Tommy Wildfire Rich was the most over wrestler 
in the United States of America. I don't. I was there. I he was the most you, over wrestler in the world. You he ain't got to tell he me. Was, he was before Hulk Hogan, and I'm telling you, guys, off that TBS station, Tommy Rich was a movie star, uh, <laughs> and nobody stopped ever think about it. You know, Tommy Rich was the world heavyweight champion for a week. Yep. Nobody, you know, there's things that they don't go back to do that they forgot about him. Now Steve knew. It's my time. You hear me? Now it's uh-huh. my time. So you know where I'm going with this. I gotcha. <laughs> there's a lot of people in this business that think they know everything in the world, but it's all right. It's cool. But a lot of times, you know, this one person, <laughs> he wrestled every territory like I did, and he got his ass fired from every one of them. Okay. Now, <laughs> okay. I wrestled Ric Flair, and they wanted to put the world. Now, this is what kind of person I am, and anybody out there, if you don't believe it, don't believe it. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back because this is just the way I was raised and, a, and the way I lived my life all my life. Robert Gibson was my tag team wrestling partner. I was not ever going to do nothing. I started this business with him, and I lost it with him. I was on the jet airplanes. They talked to me a hundred times about Ric Flair dropping the belt to me. Matter of fact, I beat him in Richmond, Virginia for the belt. But they told me they was going to get rid of Robert. I gave the belt back. Now, you don't got to ask anybody else. The best thing to do is go ask Ric Flair. He was right there on the plane with me. He was right there with me when it happened. Ric Flair is the best worker that ever been in this business. I'm going to tell you that. And the reason why, when you wrestled him, he gave you your money's worth. And that's where I learned, even at 64 years old right now, if I don't, if I can't give you your money's worth, I don't want to wrestle no more. I try to do the best thing that I can. Now, later on, this is another thing. People say, well, I turned heel when Robert got hurt. Yeah, then that's when Robert did get hurt. And I turned heel. And then the reason I joined the York Foundation is to turn heel, was to have a job. But the main reason was, is they wanted to make, they wanted me, and they did, wanted to make Brad Armstrong and me the new Rock and Roll Express. Hmm. And I told him no. And that's serious, and that's a fact. Now, am I stupid? Okay. Am I stupid because I didn't do that? No. I don't think so. Robert, Robert was my brother. I was loyal to him. And if I'm a stand-up guy to my partner – that's the what I want to be remembered by. And I don't want to be remembered by. Yes, I could have made millions of dollars, maybe. But when I go to bed every night, I go to bed happy. Okay, I don't worry about that. Uh, if I had it to do over again, I'd do the same damn thing. And if all you smarts out there listening, if you want to listen to somebody, go ahead and do that. But I was there. You wasn't, and they wasn't. That's the truth. And, and yeah, I, I'm going to tell you that because of that loyalty, I can't think of a tag team with more longevity. You guys are considered, I mean, there's there's probably two or three teams in that argument, greatest tag team of all time. And a lot of people put you guys right up there at the top. 
Some people might say the Road Warriors. Some people might say the Midnight. You know, some from the WWF might say the Heart Foundation or one of those types. But pound for pound, a tag team for tag team, you know, greatest tag team of all time, definitely greatest face tag team of all time. And without your loyalty, I think once you start having those interchangeable parts, you know, if you break up in 85, 86, and you get, a, you know, a short run at the, at the world belt, uh, and you and Robert break up, or you make Brad Armstrong a new member of the rock and roll later, the rock and roll isn't what it is, you know, 35 years later. Yes, and, and Steve, that's what I'm trying to say. We will have part two of this awesome interview on the next episode of House of Kayfabe. We'll be right back. At the law office of Stephen New, we take a team approach to your case. Our staff and paralegals are excellent and will assist you through every step of your case. We employ world-class experts to make sure that your case is developed to its maximum value. When you seek legal counsel, choose Stephen New and his team. They'll work together to achieve the best results for your case and support you every step of the way. Our clients, why we do what we do at the law office of Stephen New. The thoughts and opinions of Steve Barker do not reflect the thoughts and opinions of House of Kayfabe, Superior Radio Network, or any of our partners or advertisers. I interrupt this Outlaw Mud Show podcast to bring you some actual entertainment. Hide your kids and hide your wife because the House of Kayfabe is back, baby. Now, you good people know, this is where I give internet marks a little education on why most of this shit they call modern wrestling is a travesty. But... Alas, dear viewers, the only wrestling that I watched this week was the vaunted and soon-to-be legendary AEW Revolution pay-per-view. And as hard as I've tried, there's just little here that I can bitch, complain, or bloviate about. The importance of this pay-per-view cannot be overstated. And years from now, the historians will be saying that March 7th, 2021 is when the world changed for the better. And I thank the Lord that I was there to see it. From the opening match that pitted the greatest tag team to ever oil each other up, the Young Bucks, who battled a svelte in shape Chris Jericho and someone who will hopefully get his shit together one day, MJF, in a botch-filled flippy shit six-and-a-half star battle of pre-planned moves, high spots, and obvious cooperation that helped to keep Dave Meltzer's old flaccid dick hard with every miscue and mistimed aerial assault. I found myself forgetting about the tag teams of the past, like the Rock and Roll and Midnight Express, or the Road Warriors. Who needs matches that make sense when the Young Bucks walk among us, mere mortals? Of course, Tony Khan, the greatest storyteller of American lore since Mark Twain, shoot name Samuel Clemens, found the generosity in his heart to bless us with a Royal Rumble-style tag team battle royale that introduced us to a mini-performer who we've never heard of and won't remember afterwards. Each new team came in, faceless as they were, and got three or four moves in, and then melted into the background like that off-yellow paint that's in every government building hallway. Kudos, sir. Kudos. Now, if there was one match that would have been called a low point, it was definitely Adam Page 
versus Matt Hardy. Apparently, these men did not get the memo that logical, linear, tight storytelling that builds to a devastating finishing maneuver is as passe as a beef wellington and a chilled iceberg lettuce slice. Shame on you both and may God have mercy on your souls. One thing that AEW thrives at is giving us things we didn't even know we wanted. I had no idea that I wanted to see a 61-year-old broke-down man and a 150-pound skateboarder have a movie match street fight, but this match does highlight a weakness in this stacked and oh-so-talented roster. Brian Cage, how dare you, how dare you, sir, work on your body and look like a mythological god and super athlete? Doesn't he know we want to watch performers that remind us of our own dilapidated and low-testosterone bodies? Tony Khan, make Brian Cage start eating with Jericho post-haste. There's too many five-star classics to talk about on this pay-per-view, including a mistake-filled ladder match where they clumsily battled over what was either one of Sonic's rings or a hemorrhoid pillow. But we need to talk about one of the finest matches that has ever been booked. Hogan versus Andre, Flair versus Steamboat, Nakamura versus Ibushi, all pale in comparison to the instant classic that was John Moxley and the artiste Kenny Omega in a barbed wire exploding ring match. It simply was a Shakespeare play, a Greek tragedy, and a John Woo film wrapped up in an expertly worked ballet of ultra violence and wrestling artistry. This match was so good, I have no idea how its excellence can ever be matched. And when the finale, the the symphonic ending of explosions that washed across the crowd and the masses at home. It made the end of Die Hard look like July 4th in a state where fireworks are outlawed. Thank you, Tony Khan. Thank you. Your award of Booker of the Year was put on display as being one of the most deserved rewards and awards that's ever been given in this industry. We are truly not worthy of your excellence. Did you know that there are people in the world annoyed with all the other people in the world? And of all these angry people in the world, I am the angriest boy! Welcome back to House of Kayfabe, and I am Brian Resnick, standing here with uh, Derek Jones. And Derek Jones, you took an interesting trip, and... It's really interesting to talk about this because not a lot of people get to say, I went to a wrestling show this past weekend. But Derek Jones, somehow in the middle of a pandemic, can sit here and tell us that he went to a wrestling event this weekend and it happened to be AEW Revolution. Derek, so first of all, did it's a pandemic. You're going to a wrestling event. Do you feel... Do you feel nervous when you go to a, a the first big event in the middle of a pandemic? Uh, honestly, I, I didn't. Um, I don't know. I guess it's just become kind of the norm to, to adapt to the new ways of life, you know, the new norm they're calling it or whatever. Um, so it wasn't that bad. Uh, but, you know, we've been into it for a long time now. Yeah. Right at a year. Um, so hopefully we're on the downside. So it, it wasn't that bad. So what were the precautions that were taken by AEW for fans in the, well, first of all, let's talk about how many, you know, obviously this, this arena holds like what? 35 to 4,000. 
How many? 5,500. 5,500 in uh, Daly's place, correct? So That's correct. What, uh, what, what, what do you think they had? They announced that they allowed 1,400 people. 1,400 people. That's interesting. Was there something else going on in the same building as AEW? So next door, uh, in the actual Jacksonville Jaguar Stadium, that day and the day before, they had uh, Monster Jam, the Monster Truck shows going on. Oh, that's awesome. So, see, the reason why I asked you that is because I noticed on Dynamite this week, you could hear somebody making announcements at, like, another show. Like, there was, like, something else going on in that building. And while, you know, the announcers were doing their thing, you could also hear somebody talking over top of them. Well, see, I read a little bit about that. Apparently, it was some kind of mesh between an NBA game somewhere. Uh, it was a glitch on TNT's part, not actually in the arena itself. Really? Because it sounded like it was in the arena. Did, did, it did sounded, it? yeah. It sounded like you know, like they were, they were running a, uh, I don't know, like a dog show in the next room or something. <laughs> I didn't know what the <laughs> hell was going on. So that was on TNT's end. Yes. Interesting. So, um. What kind of precautions were taken? Like, did I mean, were they checking temperatures? They did. Uh, they actually had, um, so at a couple stations, they had the, the wireless or, the, you know, the touch-free thermometers, but they also had iPads or like a digital scanning booth set up where it would scan your face. And not only would it check your temp, but it would check to make sure that you were wearing your mask properly. And unless you could make it through that scan, they wouldn't even let you into the arena itself. So... You had to, A, be wearing your mask exactly in the right place, covering the nose and the mouth, and your temp had to read properly on this screen. Man, that is so awesome. I wish that they had those type of machines everywhere because I get so frustrated when I see somebody wearing a mask and and their nose is completely hanging out, and you just want to be like, like, don't you understand the basic concept of fucking wearing a mask? Like, this is a... It's like you shouldn't even be wearing one at that point because you just got you got your nose hanging out. You know, your nose is I, I just don't understand people. And I also right. don't well, understand so people point, on the other know? side of the spectrum that wear their mask in their car by themselves. I, those people get on my nerves, too. It's like, man, common sense is not fucking common. Right. Those, those are also the same people that when they go shopping, they wear their rubber gloves and they pull their cell phone out and touch their phone and touch everything and then take their gloves off when they get home, even though they've touched everything with the same pair of gloves. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the basic concept of why we're doing all this completely goes over their head. Yes. So now you're in there, you get the, you get your uh, the mask scan and you get the temperature gauge. Now, does everybody leave you alone at that point? Or do you have to set a certain distance away from people because like when i see people in the crowd it looks like they're pretty close to each other so it 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 looks like they are but they're so every row has a grouping of people in them and there's seats blocked off in between the pods and in order to get you know i'm calling a pod it's actually a group of seats they refer to them as pods in order to get your tickets say you know there was only three of us that went but we had to buy the full pot of four seats like we had to own that pod in order to go um and then there were so many seats beside us that were blocked off completely and then another grouping of pods on the other side so we wouldn't have to cross paths with each other coming in or going out of the rows so obviously there are things that you get to see and we're going to talk about the end of the show of course later you know after we're we're done talking about the show but you know at the beginning there's always things that you don't see on pay-per-view 
that you get to see by being there. What, what, what were some of those things? Um, so are, are we talking about the show or the setup or the stage? I'm I mean, talking about all of it. I want to hear the whole experience. I want to hear the Derek Jones experience. You were at Revolution. I want to know what it was like. I want to know what the smells were like. I want to know what the, the action was like. I want to know what the colors were. I, no, I'm just saying, tell me what happened, bro. <laughs> tell me what happened. All right. So I'll tell you this. One of the coolest things that I seen while I was there, um, when you're there, you know, when you go to a wrestling show, one of the first things you want to do is you want to hit the merch booth and you want to see what's going on. Always. That's, that's like my oh. first stop. I, I, me and you are the exact same when it comes to the merch booth. I remember whenever I was at the new Japan merch booth, texting you pictures and stuff. So yeah, yep. we're, we're on the same page. So you're at the merch right. booth. All right. So here's the thing. You don't go to the merch booth. What, what? Before you ever get into the arena, there is a link posted on a sign that says, go to awliveevents.com and they show you a detailed list of everything they're selling and you can buy it straight from your phone and then they'll send you a message later to tell you when it's ready to come pick up so you don't have to interact with anybody. Wow. I'm not sure if I like that, but I guess but, it's... But bad. they did have... So they did have examples of everything. So like if you really wanted to see the item, like it was hung up so you could see it, but you never had to get close to anybody to actually purchase it. Wow. That that well, I guess that is that is cool and that is very uh safe, COVID friendly, I guess. Right. Um so that kind of takes out the whole like making a decision last second and like deciding between two things and all the things that I do when I'm at a merch booth, but I remember when we went to uh, to Bash at the Beach last year, that merch booth was like so freaking awesome. It was almost as awesome as New Japan's. New Japan still, to me, has the best merch booth I have ever encountered, ever. Have you ever been to one? I've not been to a New Japan show. Man, you've got see, at, at the New Japan show, they come up to you and you're in a line. And you're in this line, a straight line, and they come through and they give you baskets. So everybody gets a basket. And so everybody's sitting here holding this empty basket. And then you go down the line like a smorgasbord and put everything you want in the basket. And then you check out at the end. It was the shit. It was, I mean, it was See, that's a, smart. It was the best merch booth I've ever been to, for sure. Nice. So, so did you get any cool merch? Oh, of course. You know. Um, so I have this bad habit now that when I go to an AEW show, they have signed turnbuckle pads. I know you've got so many. Okay, tell me. So so I got the Revolution turnbuckle pad signed. How much did this cost? I don't even want to talk about it, buddy. Oh, I want to know. you got to <laughs> give me a number. What did you pay for this turnbuckle pad? So this turnbuckle pad, out of the, you know, out of the few that I do have, because you know I got a few. It all started from the all-in turnbuckle. I pad know that that's so awesome. But but this turnbuckle pad was five hundred bucks. But that I figured it was going to be more than that. Honestly, five hundred no, bucks seems five. a little low. That's awesome. Five hundred bucks, and it's probably got twenty twenty-five signatures on it. I see. Everybody on the everybody on the show is on it. That is incredible. Five hundred bucks. I and that's that's your third one. Fourth. Fourth, you've got all in. Mm-hmm. You got what else? I've got all in. I've got all out. Double or nothing and revolution. How uh, you're like AEW's number one fan? Like that's that's some that's really awesome though. Are, do you have all the figures now? Uh, I've got everything through series four minus the chase exclusives, and 
Series 5, I just pre-ordered a couple of them. Not the full series, but yeah. Nice. Where are you getting them from? Are you are you getting them from Walmart, or are you getting them from, like, online? Man, even even as a guy on the inside of Walmart, I can't even get them through Walmart. So I, I pre-ordered the ringside collectibles. What is the deal so, with Walmart? Why? Tell me this. Why does Walmart have nothing but rings? Like, all I see are rings and belts. There, There is no figures to be had. I found one. I found one Kenny Omega in my local Walmart, and the box was literally ripped to shreds. It, I mean, the box was completely fucked up to where I didn't even want to buy it. So, you know, we have these these metrics that we can kind of monitor on these things. The AEW toys, like everybody goes in there and they're like, my Walmart doesn't get them, my Walmart doesn't get them, my Walmart doesn't get them. Well, more than likely, your Walmart has gotten them at some point or another. They are the fastest selling item from stock to purchase in the company today. Well, I mean, I know that my Walmart gets them because all of the tags are up there. I mean, you can see right. like this is an AEW figure uh, set up. This is, this is, this is, they're all empty. And I mean, my Walmarts have trouble keeping the WWE stuff in stock for real. I mean, they sell a lot of the WWE stuff to, to the point where you can only go in there and buy John Cena at any moment. You know what I mean? But Right. But the AEW figures, like I said, one. I've seen one this entire time. But they've always got a stockpile of rings and a stockpile of belts, but no figures. You know what that yeah, says to nobody, me? Nobody wants the rings. It's it's all collectors. That's what I was going to say. That's what I was going to say. That's exactly what I was going to say. The re- the reason those rings are sitting there is because none of these guys are sitting in their floor playing with these action figures. They're sitting on a uh, on a, a shelf much like yours. That's right. So, so did you see any matches that we didn't get to see, or did you pretty much see exactly what we see? No, with the pay per views. Uh, so, like Dynamite, they always um, take dark matches, right? But for the pay per views, it, it's it's straight whatever is viewed on TV is what you got to see. So the show opened with uh, the the Britt Baker match, and then closed with the Omega. So, what did you think of uh, the beginning? Like, uh, as far as the Britt Baker match goes, you know, live was it? Uh, tell me about it. The, the Britt Baker match live was a snooze fest, and everybody in the arena thought so as well. The most exciting part of it was um, what, Maki Ito coming out. So she was she was pretty over there. I'm, I'm not a fan. I don't understand it. I don't I understand it either. In Japan, but yeah, they said that she was a pop star, but she was so horrible she got kicked out of her group or something. But right. you know what I do like about her is her headbutt. Her freaking headbutt. Her headbutt is awesome. That is the, yes, that's she, probably the coolest headbutt I've seen. And the way that she sets it up or sells it prior, like she takes a shot to the head and it hurts, you know, the opponent's arm. So she's just like, oh, yeah, I got a hard head and then cracks her in the head. It was awesome. Yeah, it, it, it really is. That headbutt is awesome. So that snooze fest definitely came out like that on television as well. <laughs> so there's yeah. no real difference there. But um, so when we get into the actual pay-per-view, what is, you know, set the, set the stage. You're in this crowd. It's a completely different experience for you. I remember going to pay-per-views and that I leave thinking, man, this was awesome. And then get online and everybody's like, oh, the pay-per-view sucked. And it's like, you know, you feel something completely different when you're there. Oh, yeah. It's it's a completely different atmosphere um, because you're you're not sitting at home alone or, you know, with a couple friends watching it on TV you get to hear it, feel it, you know, the, the roar of the crowd. And, and the crowd does not translate on AEW TV like it does. And I know 1,400 people doesn't sound like a lot, but when you have 1,400 
super excited, pumped up, hardcore wrestling fans. You feel it when you're there. Well, 1,400 people around you feels completely different than than viewing 1,400 people from a distance as far as, you know, at home through a television. You know, you're not going to you're not going to feel 1,400 people sitting on, on your couch, but 1,400 people when they're right beside of you, you it's a little bit different. Yes. And 1,400 people singing Judas is awesome. I also, tell you. I also don't think the crowds are mic'd as well in AEW as they are in WWE. No, and they should be. They Because when you're watching AEW on TV, you, you hear the, you know, the workers off to the side a lot. You know, you hear Austin Gunn over everybody, but the crowd is there. They're, they're very much alive. You just, you don't, it doesn't come across the way it, it should. Like you said, it needs to be mic'd better. They need to have more uh, crowd interaction coming through your speakers. Yeah. Your shows would be so much more exciting and, and they're not bad now, but they would be so much more exciting if you would have the live crowd effect as well. I would totally agree with that. So what do you think the best match of the night was? Are, are you on the same same tip as we are? Because I, honestly, I would I said that Matt Hardy versus Adam Page was probably at least the second best match of the night, if not the best match of the night. So from from live in person, the best match of the night was easily the casino tag team match. Really? Yes. And, and I feel like it's because of camera placement during the match, because there's obviously so much going on elsewhere. Yeah. Um, but you're, you know, when you're there, you're able to focus on whatever you want to, but it was easily the most exciting match of the night. And I think it was for everybody there. Really? Well, that's yeah. interesting because it didn't come off that way on television. Um, that, that match was way over, especially the last, you know, when it got down to the last four guys, it was, what did you think of of Pack and and Phoenix taking that? That I mean, do you think that that's a a good a good route for them, or do you do you feel like it's they're they're just kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall to see if they can make something stick with those two? Uh, I like both the individuals. Me too. Uh, uh, don't get me wrong. You know, I like both of them, but I, yeah. I did not expect them a to tag up. I did not expect them b to win. I definitely did not expect them to win. Not, not even a little no, bit. They weren't even uh, on, a, on were, a short list. Not at all. Nah. Um, and honestly, I thought they were kind of going to hold off on these guys uh, with death triangle, all three of them when they introduced their six man belts, because that to me would be a good group to carry their six. man exactly. title. Exactly. That would have be, uh, it would have been perfect for, uh, for that. And, I mean, I don't understand why they even, if you're going to split Ray and Penta feud them, you know that, oh, that you got to feud them now. Now they're separating them, and now all of a sudden we're supposed to care that Penta is uh, coming after Cody, and it doesn't even re- that. Did that exchange make you cringe? Because it, it did for me. It, it wasn't that bad. Um, I mean, it wasn't I terrible, but it, letting, it was just very cringy. It just yeah. didn't feel I li- real. I like that they're letting Penta talk because typically he's just a, a mannerisms kind of guy, you know, mm, yeah. but I like that they're going to let him talk because I, man, he's smooth. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, well, I don't know he, about how for somebody with broken English, he's smooth. <laughs> well, I, I did feel like that, that Cody thing was forced on dynamite, but I did like a lot of things about dynamite before, before we can talk about that though, we need to talk about this finish. So in the, uh, I mean, the Kenny Omega, John Moxley match, I didn't have a whole lot of problems with it. I did think that it was 
I mean, as a as a student of the school of ECW, I thought that the the hardcore aspects of this match were not terrible up until the very end. Now, when you're watching this match during the match, you you're into it live. Everybody's into it live. Everybody's into it. So it, it is totally a hit with the crowd. Yes. So this thing comes down to a finish. We see John Moxley in the middle of the ring. The countdown's happening. One thing I didn't understand to begin with is if the match is over, why is the ring still going to explode? But that's just a, a question I had, and, and I, it won't have an answer. But e- either way, Eddie Kingston runs to the ring, covers over top of John Moxley to save him from this blast, and this blast results in sparklers. So live, that had to have been, at, at least that had to have been a wind out of the sails. It was rough. Uh, what did it feel like? Like was everybody like was everybody disappointed? Like were they mad? Were they laughing? Was it funny? I, just tell me what the, these people are acting like at this point. No, no one was laughing whatsoever. So here, to, let's set the match up a little bit earlier. So okay, the the point that that tried to suck the air out of the room for most of the crowd was when they found out that the Sting Darby match was pre taped. Oh, we didn't even talk about that. Yeah, so so they didn't. So no one knew that it was going to be. Few people knew. Did you know? I read that. I read they were shooting it the day before. Right. And you know, we read little bits about it, saying that it more than likely will be a cinematic match. But we didn't know if maybe they would start in the ring, work their way to the back. Boom! Here's the part we filmed, and come back out for the finish. Like we we didn't know exactly what they did. So when, when it started, most people in the crowd thought this was like a promo building up to the match until they got in a ring. And at that point, people were pissed. And they were booing. Because a lot of these people in this arena came to watch Sting wrestle live. And they didn't get to do it. They didn't get to see They him. didn't get to see Sting. He wasn't there at all, was he? He was not there. I mean, he might have been in Jacksonville, but he did not come out at all. Wow. So that was the first big disappointment. It's a lot of booze in that situation. Yes. So you had a pissed off crowd going into your world title match. So they were already pissed. Oh, yeah. Now, did Kenny and John manage to save the crowd and get them back, get them back during this match? Yes, they drew them back in. And the point where everybody fully came back around was the first explosion on the ropes. Now, I've, I've rewatched it on TV. The the sound and the the reaction that you get on TV was not what we got in the arena. It was much louder and much bigger than what it felt like on TV. So it yeah. it kind of uh, I guess it helped that little bit of an aspect because you, you obviously we could see where it was coming from, but it was a, it was a knee jerk reaction. We didn't know where or when it was going to happen, but when it did, it kind of woke everybody up a little bit. It was it was a good thing. Now, as far as explosions go, you said you've seen a lot of firepower. Yeah, a lot more than what it come across on TV, I'll tell you that. So what are we talking here? Um, the, the trays that they carried to set up the match, because they're setting up for this match during the cinematic. Yeah, and they're bringing, they're bringing out mortars and, like mortars and shit? Is that what yes, we're talking they, about? They had 
boards that they were carrying, and every board probably had 15 to 20 mortars on it. Okay, so you're expecting a huge explosion. I'm expecting 4th of July inside Daly's place because they have two of those boards on each side of the ring, so six boards total, 20 mortars aboard. Like, it should have been nuts. Is this an open roof or no? No. Okay. But the sides are completely open out on it. I knew there was something open air about that place. Yeah. Yeah, it's got a cover over top. Um, It sets probably... uh, so it, it's three tiers of bleacher seats, and it probably sets another 30 feet above the third tier of bleachers. Uh, so and super it's nice a place. This is a super nice place. It, it comes off as a super nice place on TV. It's extremely nice. It's awesome. Beautiful. I've never been there, but uh, but I'd like to go there soon. And as far as like audio and acoustics, like I mean, it's an amphitheater. It's made so people can sit in the very top and watch people have conversations, plays. So the sound quality is, is, is amazing. Awesome. So what happens when these sparklers go off? So the sparklers go off and I, I don't know, like when we're there, we don't know when it, when, when you're not live anymore because Eddie Kingston and John Moxley are continuously selling this bullshit that just happened. <laughs> People are chanting. They want a refund. Like it's, it, it gets hostile again, man. So that how long did they lay there? Well, so I, well, the reason Eddie, why I ask Eddie, is because Moxley is like notorious for laying in the ring. I, I was at the Fort Myers show when he laid in the ring for like 30 minutes or something. Yeah, after, everybody was gone. Yeah, he laid there till everybody was gone. So, yeah, I know that uh, he can definitely oversell the shit out of some out of the end of a show. So, well, how, how long are we talking? So. I would say probably four or five minutes, even after the pay-per-view went off, they're still laying in the ring. Moxley slowly starts getting up. He cuts his promo, you know, the one where he talks about Kenny being the tough son of a bitch, but can't build a exploding ring for shit. Uh, Eddie, Eddie is still just laid out. Like doc's trying to wake him up with smelling salts and everything. Like really? you think Moxley oversells Eddie. Eddie was out the whole time, the whole time, the whole time people are leaving. And he's still just laid over in the ring on a rep slap. Now, so this happens. the The crowd's obviously pissed, and, and I get. I'm guessing they left pissed. There wasn't a uh, a normal AEW afterwards. A bunch of people get in the ring and oil up Michael Nakazawa or something. Nothing, nothing like that no, goes down. Nothing like that. So uh, after your word dead, Mox cuts his his promo. Cody actually comes out, and I guess is telling him to hey wrap up. It's time to go home. But it seems like he's checking on him. Um, but it like, they're still, they're, 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 they're selling it. They're sticking to their guns. Right. That's uh, it's pretty interesting. Now, when we go to dynamite, I thought that, you know, there was, there's a couple different ways you can go about this. If you're AEW, you can just ignore all the negativity and continue to pretend like there was an explosion or you can bypass it and not really refer to it again. Or you can just face the music and totally make fun of yourself. And that is kind of what they did. I thought that their comeback on Dynamite was exceptional. And, and I think that it's really cool how if the WWE, well, see, like for instance, the WWE gives you a shitty pay-per-view. Chances are they're going to give you a shitty Raw too, uh, And you're going to have them back to back and they don't care. They don't care that they gave you a shitty pay-per-view. AEW, I feel like they cared. 
They disappointed the fans. Uh, some say once, some say twice. And th- that's another question. What uh, what was the 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 big the big the big push with Christian Cage? Was everybody extremely excited, or were people upset about that? So everybody in the arena seemed pretty pretty pumped about it. So and no now, one was upset about it in the arena. There were not noticeably, not noticeably, not no, not noticeably, interesting. Not, not noticeably. Well, online, it was a different story. Me, myself, I was pretty psyched about it. I love Christian. I think that uh, it's really cool that he's there, and it, it excites me to think that Christian and Edge could be the dual world champions at the same time. That could be yes. awesome. But it also there's also that thing that's like, uh, this is very TNA-ish. Where, where did you stand? on? I mean, I know you're a huge TNA fan, too. So uh, to you, that TNA-ish is not necessarily a bad thing. But where did you stand so, on Christian? So like, let's talk TNA ish, and and when it was when it was happening, I feel like I'm, there might have been someone else, but I feel like when it happened, I was the only person in the arena that knew it was going to happen by the countdown because TNA Genesis 2005. It's the same countdown as Christian Cage. It just was green and gold. Right. And when it started counting down, the people I was with, I was like, hey, it's going to be Christian. You and knew they it. still didn't believe me. And I was like, this is Christian. <laughs> and, and sure enough, there he was. To be a TNA so fan, I, you, you got that inside scoop there. That's right. I, I was watching I was, as well. I was yeah, I was pretty excited, too. I like Christian. and But then we, we get to Dynamite, like I was saying, and they totally embrace this and use you know different outlines to turn the story so that it fits and then they make fun of themselves. And it was, it, it was such a good way to come back. And that dynamite was awesome. Like you get a crappy pay-per-view. It wasn't a crappy pay-per-view. I'm not going to say crappy pay-per-view. I'm going to say you get a pay-per-view with a disappointment and they come back with a dynamite that totally over delivers. Yes. And, and that's the thing. Like everybody, you know, they say you only remember the finish. Well, I don't. I remember the whole freaking card. Now, that last 45 seconds, that last minute and a half, whatever it was, after the match had already ended, that was shit. I get it. It sucked. You know, stuff happens. It's yeah. live TV. You never know what's going to happen. Um, they, they did a great job of trying to wrap it up, put a bow on it, make sure people understood what happened. The only other thing I think would have ever made sense in that situation is if they would have recorded a video of like Don Callis and the good brothers tampering with it. And, you know, their explanation would have been just in case Kenny would have been in harm's way. I can't let that happen to my guy. So, you know, we, we did this because John Moxley's a lunatic. Yeah. Well, that would have worked too. That would have, that would have, that would have worked too. But what they did worked as well. I think that, uh, you know, Don Callis saying that, Oh, well, we wanted to blow you up, but but making you know making you look like an asshole, making you look dumb is is the same. You know, I, I don't I, I don't know. I think they did a great job with dynamite. I wasn't happy about the explosion, but I really wasn't too psyched about an explosive match to begin with. I, I mean, in America, it doesn't seem like they could be as good as they're going to be in other places. You know, and that's always what you're going to get compared to. You're always going to get compared to a place that has literally no regulation. (laughs) So it's not going to be the same ever. So either way, so you'd say you had a great time then, obviously. Oh, it's fantastic. 
and uh, and and so far, no uh, no COVID symptoms. No COVID symptoms. I'm, I'm I'm clean and clear. So we have not labeled this a super spreader yet, and it and it means. You know, I was saying if Derek Jones can go to AEW Revolution and not get COVID, then I can totally go to fucking WrestleMania. See, exactly. Are you going to go to WrestleMania? It's, it's iffy. It's, it's iffy. It's a big. It's a big if, and, it, and the if all depends on the you know the, the work situation. Right. Well, if you can go, you should totally go. I, I, I'm pretty sure Steve New is going, and I am going, and I'm trying to talk Shane Douglas into going with us, but he is kind of. Uh, not sure about that. He's kind of like you. He's he's iffy, but it's not because of work. It's because he hates right. wrestling. <laughs> well, now <laughs> this wrestling. But either way, WrestleMania should be fun, pandemic or not. I'm going to double mask it and go to WrestleMania this year. Totally worth the risk. I think so. I, I believe so. Totally, it's t- totally worth the risk. I mean, you know, on the 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 bad side, the good side of the bad side is you know you you're sick for two weeks and you can't smell. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experience with us here at the House of Kayfabe. We will be right back. Stay right here. Employment discrimination is illegal and takes many forms. Religion. Race. Workers' compensation claims. Gender. Age. Disability. If you believe your employer has illegally fired or retaliated against you, contact us. Protecting your employment rights, why we do what we do, the law offices of Stephen New. Ladies and gentlemen, the House of Kayfabe train is coming into the station. Stephen P. New, we have had a great episode today. Part one is in the books for the Ricky Morton interview next time we are going to be right here with part two where we get into some more stories man that guy's a storyteller oh oh he is i could just listen to him tell stories was literally raised on the road in the sport of professional wrestling and you you know what i love most about ricky morton of the rock and roll express brian what is it you can hear his love of the sport in every word that he speaks. He absolutely has an undying love for this sport. And this sport hasn't always treated him kindly. He hasn't always gotten his just desserts, in my humble opinion. But Ricky has never let that make him bitter. Uh, he's still willing to teach anybody who will listen, and he is a wealth of knowledge. He loves the fans. Most of all, he loves this sport, and you just hear that in every word he speaks. I mean, professional wrestling is like all he knows, and he knows it better than anybody else. I mean, and and believe me, if you don't believe him, or if you don't believe me, he'll tell you (laughs) for sure. (laughs) I mean, he he knows what he knows, You, you know, and he has seen so much and been right there at the center of so much. And uh, he could be really, really cocky and really, really conceited about everything that, that he has accomplished, everything that he and Robert Gibson have accomplished because there was no bigger draw in the eighties than the rock and roll express. And people use the term over, you know, and, and 
but Brian, I mean, their ticket sales and their merchandise sales, uh, you know, that's not subjective opinion. You know, asses in seats, ticket sales don't lie. And they sold out major arenas everywhere to the point where Dusty was even a little jealous. Yeah, I guarantee it. And we will hear more from Ricky Morton next time right here on House of Kayfabe. Do not forget to follow us on Twitter at HKFabe. Also follow us on Instagram at the House of Kayfabe and also on Facebook at House of Kayfabe. You guessed it. You can find us there and don't forget to join the residence group, the official residence group where all the conversations are taking place. And there's tons of different podcasts in that group. People are interviewing all kinds of crazy people and you can find it. One thing I got to ask you, Steve, before we get out of here is about Dan Housen. Now, I know you're tight with the Cornette, Cornette crew. Uh, Brian Last, huge Dan Housen fan. Jim Cornette, huge Dan Housen fan. And they haven't even seen the guy wrestle yet. I think maybe Brian Last has. Jim Cornette doesn't want to see him because he doesn't want to hate him. What do you think of the, the rage of Dan Housen? Brian, I am all in favor of anyone getting themselves over. And if if it took a cameo to Jim Cronett <laughs> in order to get Danhausen over with the cult of Cornet and then by extension a larger uh, swat of the professional wrestling fandom, uh, all I can say is good on Danhausen. You know, I've never seen Danhausen wrestle. I've never watched a single promo. Uh, I'm currently greatly at odds with Ring of Honor <laughs> right now, so it's not like I'm ever going to go to a Ring of Honor show. But, I hey, kudos to anybody who can get over and make some money in this business. Yeah, I, I'm, I have to agree 100%. And I don't know why Dan Housen doesn't have a job with AEW because it seems like he would be a perfect fit and definitely would be more of an asset than some of the people they have. Well, that's exactly right. I don't know whether you team him with Darby Allen or bring him in as the Lex Luthor to Darby Allen's Superman. I, I mean, those. I two, believe the latter. I think the latter would probably be some of the most entertaining shit we've ever seen. I, those two could be lifelong rivals. I mean, they they could leave that rivalry, go to another feud, and then come back and pick it right up. Just you know where where left off (laughs) it would definitely be a great time so anyway next time we are going to have an interview the second part of our interview with ricky morton and much more so make sure that you stay subscribed to the house of kayfabe house of kayfabe that chant can mean only one thing here they are rocket rolex run we love you too baby let me tell you what it's all about but you know tony we had the experience to watch one of the most horrifying things that ever, I've ever seen in professional wrestling. I'm talking about an incident with Ronnie Garvin where Jimmy Cornette stooped so low, so low that he couldn't take it no more that he threw fire in Ronnie Garvin's face. But you know what you did, Jimmy Cornette? You threw fire in a man's face rather to stop him from making a living, to stop him from feeding his family. But you see, things turn around a little later because you come to find out Jimmy Garvin was there. Jimmy Garvin and Ronnie Garvin, like I said here, brother, let me tell you one thing. Blood, blood is a lot thicker than water, Jack. And your day is going to come, Jimmy Cornette, because I'll tell you anything. If the Garvins ever need the Rock and Roll Express, baby, we stand right there beside you, and we'll run them all the way back to Louisville, Kentucky. 
And then again, let's talk about this tag team tournament that's coming up. For $1 million, the Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Cup in Baltimore, Maryland. Now you get all these tag teams coming out here telling them about how bad they are and all the things they can do. But you see, and everybody else has known before, that the Rock and Roll Express, baby, can turn poison ivy into a bread big rose bush, Jack. And that's exactly what's gonna happen, baby, because we're coming there to mean business. Woo! of Superior Radio Network.